passage for this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 8, as we read verses 31 through 38. Would you please stand this morning for the reading of God's word? Hear now the word of God. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Father, our hands are empty. Our souls are helpless. We are in absolute need. So would you give us a blessing this morning? Would you send your spirit together with your son to bless and feed our souls today? We ask for your grace and favor as you shine your light upon the text. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite books on the life of the Apostle Paul is by New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce. And I love the title especially of the book. The book is called Paul, Apostle of the Heart Set Free. And and there are a few things I love about the title of the book, but one of the things about the title of the book is that it's written by a New Testament scholar, and it is a very unscholarly sounding title. It is a very pastoral uh, title for a book. It's a spiritually rich title. And, And I think the reason partly why the title's so good is because it gets right to the heart of Paul and Paul's life and Paul's ministry because Paul was a man in slavery. And Paul was a man in bondage. And the thing was, his bondage was not obvious. You wouldn't have looked at Paul and thought to yourself, man, there is a man in bondage. You would have looked at Paul, you would have seen a good man. You would have seen a rule follower. You would have seen a man who kept his life in order, a man who kept his house in order. Um, He was somebody who could brag about his achievements. He could brag about the moral things that he had accomplished. And yet it was only after coming to Christ that his heart was set free. And Bruce's uh, thematic verse for the book comes from 2 Corinthians 3.17. And there Paul writes this. He says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there the heart is free. There the heart is free. And I, I think, I think as Americans, as, as people who live in the free West that we find ourselves very much in love with this idea of a heart set free. We really like this idea. Um, sometimes you hear, you hear judges and lawyers uh, in their arguments, perhaps even sort of saying, you know, the truth shall set you free. They sort of take this verse, Jesus is, is speaking about something else, and they apply it to the subject of justice, right? It's very 
aspirational and it's inspirational to hear the truth shall set you free. Yet there's this whole other side to being free. Because in order to be free, we have to be set free from something. And that's the thing that I think many of us don't reflect much upon. We don't focus very much upon. Um, And in fact, I'm sure that many of our friends and neighbors would be very offended at the suggestion that that they may need to be set free in the first place. They'd say, what do you mean? I'm already free. I can do whatever I want. I have means. I can travel. I can go where I want. I, I I can live my life the way I please. Why on earth would you suggest that I need to be set free? And see, it's offensive, and it's offensive once they realize what's really being said, because you're saying you're not free to someone who probably lives their life the way that they want. And I want you to know that's not offensive in our modern day only, it's, it's offensive in Jesus' day. Look at, look at what happens here. In spite of their strenuous rule following, in spite of what they think of as their short list of sins... In spite of how painful his words might be, Jesus wants them to know they are not free. He's speaking to a group of people who are not free. And so in an age like ours that values and loves freedom, you know, an age that puts such a high premium on liberty and and choice, you can bet that this is relevant to us. Are we really free? It says it in our Constitution says it in our songs. Uh, people put it on their, their T-shirts. But might it be that in spite of all of our assertions of liberty, we are, we're still very much enslaved? Is that possible? Is it possible to be a free people who are enslaved? And might it also be that Jesus, as he's, as he's offering freedom to his Jewish listeners, he also offers the very same real freedom to you and me? Well, Jesus gives two choices this morning, and then he ends with a promise. And so the first two points this morning sort of set one another in stark relief. You can be a slave or you can set, be, be set free by the son. Which will it be? Who will you be? Will you be a slave or will you be a son? And then, of course, the result, of course, is an inheritance. This is his third point. What is it? That we receive if we're set free. And so we see all three of those things this morning. A slave, a son, and an inheritance. First, Jesus shows us a slave. He is speaking to these Jews. Now the text says those who believed in him. Which is an interesting way for John to speak. When you take into account the entire passage, you look at all the things that they do later on. I think what he is saying here is not necessarily that these are people who have saving faith. It says they believed in him. But I I think what he really means is these are people who are intrigued by Jesus. And these are the people who don't outright reject Jesus as soon as they hear what he's teaching. So they're still interested and they're still listening. So John uses this word believed to refer to them. Um, They're intrigued. They're interested. But they haven't committed themselves to Jesus. And they haven't committed themselves to his message yet. Um, I think that's why Jesus decides to put this challenge to this group of people. Because they haven't committed, and he's challenging them to become committed. So he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So, so this, is a, this is a mixed group of people, and he's issuing them a challenge to be real, true disciples. 
They, they need this nudge. They need this shove so that they can go from being interested observers to actually being his disciples. Um, Heinrich Bollinger comments on this verse, and he points out that, that we see here that there are different levels of, of faith, right? They're, they're said to believe, but they don't know the truth. They, they believe, but they don't have a sense of whether they're really his disciples. And so, so the implication is that we can grow in these things. We can become uh, deeper in our, our faith. We can go from just a raw belief to an actual understanding and actually grasping these things. And the reason I include Bullinger's comment there is I think we need that challenge. Because my, my, you know, you're supposed to know your audience when you're talking to people and I mean, you're teaching the Bible to people, and I, I don't really see you as a room full of unbelievers necessarily. Um, instead, we are people who need to be pushed to go deeper. And that's the challenge that I think we should hear here, because Jesus is talking to people who some of whom are going to respond. And when they do, what are they going to do? They're going to abide in Jesus's word and truly be his disciples. So we need to hear that challenge. We need to hear that encouragement from Jesus, because even if we do trust in Jesus, we need to be pushed to go deeper. Usually, we need to be pushed to go deeper, not just um, suggest to have it suggested to us. We need elders in the church. We need pastors in the church to actually shove us into the deep end, into this place that maybe we wouldn't naturally go. There needs to be a depth to our faith. Um, you need a tree... To have its roots grow deep in the ground. I think it was just this last week. We had these straight line winds. Incredible winds. And, and you saw. I think Jake could probably tell you. A lot of trees down all over the, the city. And that's what happens when you have trees whose roots don't go incredibly deep down into the ground. Because when the winds come, they do just come over. They just, just fall over. Um, if you had a tree that was transplanted from another place and it was planted and its roots didn't have a chance to go deep, then it would go, it would go right over. And there needs to be a depth to our faith. Our roots need to go deep. Jesus is pushing them to something more than just a sort of passive, um, lazy following. But he's actually saying, you need to be the one where your roots grow deep. And so I, I think the first way we begin that process is by hearing the challenge, first of all. Here he is. He wants more for you. Like here you are today. You're listening to the, the preaching of the word. And, and I want you to hear the challenge as well. Could you go deeper? Are you really abiding in Jesus' words? Are you passive in the life of faith? Or have you taken on an active role and an active interest in your own spiritual life? Well, let me ask it this way. If you're a believer, are you the type of disciple that you imagined you would grow into later in life. Like, I don't know how many years you've been in the faith, but when you first became a believer in Jesus and you first started following Jesus and you imagined what things might be like 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, are you growing? Are you becoming that person that you imagined someday the Lord would be shaping you into? You need to... Accept that challenge, maybe even that challenge that your previous younger self had for you. Uh, is it possible there's room for you to grow? Are you expending energy, effort to follow Jesus? Or have you become content and complacent with where you are? Jesus calls us to something more than just a, a shallow 
spiritual life. He wants us to grow deeper. How do we do that? Jesus says it right here, abide in my word. If you do, he says, there's a consequence. So take him up on his challenge, and then you have a result that Jesus promises. He says, if you do, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, when we read this, we jump to the set you free part. We, we get right to that part because that's nice. We like that idea. We like that idea of being set free because our impulse is really to fixate on that. That's a powerful phrase. It's a famous phrase. But don't miss this. The only kind of person who needs to be set free is someone who is first in bondage. We don't like to think of that as ourselves. We don't like to think that that could possibly even remotely be us. And that's what happens here. They take offense at this. In verse 33, they respond, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. They get it and they don't get it. So they get it in a sense that they say, oh, he's saying that we're slaves. So they, they do get that part of it. And I think we listen to that and we don't catch that part. We don't catch the slave part. Because we don't like the idea that we might be slaves. But see, there's a problem because they can't imagine that they're enslaved at all. And that's why they take offense. It's like they're saying, I get it, but this doesn't apply to us. You're thinking of a different group of people. Uh, Maybe, Jesus, you should go talk to the Gentiles and tell them this. Because we're already set free. That's how they think. Now, I think... People today are also offended at being told that they need to be set free. They're offended at the idea that there is something wrong with them at all. They want to be told that everything about them is perfect. Everything about them is beautiful. Every impulse they have is precious. And there's nothing about you that's wrong. And and I couldn't say that about any of you because I couldn't say that about myself. And I think Jesus understands that about his audience here. Because... Here's why we live in bondage. We, we, there's bondage around us all the time. Very few people in bondage will tell you I'm in bondage. It's not just that it's offensive to them. It's that the bonds are invisible. Because the way that slavery, the way that spiritual slavery and spiritual bondage work is it doesn't keep us stuck doing things we hate. If, if bondage was like that, where we were stuck doing things that we hated, we would spot it right away. And we'd say, why am I doing all these things that I hate? But the enslavement of sin is so clever because it preys upon our desires and it preys upon our love. So when the love of sin holds the highest place in our heart, we will gladly and willingly choose it every single time. No hesitation. It turns out this kind of slavery doesn't hurt. It doesn't trouble us when it's happening. We don't mind it in the least And so we don't notice. That's the thing about the slavery Jesus is talking about. There are no bars. There are no chains. In slavery to sin, we are absolute willing participants every step of the way. Why are we so willing to do something that harms us? Well, the answer is here. And it's in the solution Jesus presents. Because the reason Jesus mentions truth is... As the answer to our slavery is that we are willing to sin because of a lie that we believe at the core of who we are. And this this lie 
keeps us locked into place and it guides our desires so that we love things that destroy us. And because we love them, we don't feel it and we don't notice it. See, when when Paul's talking about our enslavement to sin in Romans, what does he say? He says, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Isn't that so strange? Why would we... Why would we do that? We would rather hear the lie that lines up with our disposition than hear the truth that doesn't sit well with us. See, we exchange the truth for a lie. And that's why Jesus talks about himself as the truth who will set people free. Because that's the antidote. The antidote is truth because the disease is a lie. And it's a lie that sits at our very heart. If you could sum up the lie, what would it be? It would be, I am God. And I am king. And I'm the one on the throne. And I'm the one that all of this is about. And so the only way to come to Jesus is to face who we are as sinners and to see the bondage of sin that we love and to realize that what we enjoy is not good for us. See, these people he's talking to, they're enslaved and they don't know it. They have no idea. And they would rather not know it. It's not just a matter of information They also love the lie. They would rather believe the lie stuck in sin, telling themselves the whole time, oh, I'm free. I'm free. I I can do whatever I want. I'm free. It's it's almost like someone who who is sure they have cancer and they say, doctor, uh, I don't care what the test says. Just tell me that I'm not sick. Um, I get like that with my vehicle. Uh, If I know that the repair is going to be expensive, I tend to delay just a little bit on taking it in to get fixed. Because in the back of my mind, I really don't want to have to face a $500 repair. (laughs) Um, Spiritually, it's kind of like that. I I don't want to know. I don't want to know. God, just just, uh, let me keep thinking that that I'm fine. Let me keep thinking that I'm great. And our society lives there right now, right? Lie to me. Tell me that I'm something I'm not. Play along with me, right? And, and the hope is that if every person in all of society collectively agrees, we will lie to each other, but we'll tell the same lie, so then it might as well be true. That is what our society is aiming for right now. It's why when someone tells the truth, they're such an enemy to the whole project. It's like, why are you ruining this? We're all trying to lie to each other and we're doing so well. And then here you are, you come in here and you tell us that things are not like we think. What are you doing? Why do you hate us? And really, it makes no sense, right? It makes no sense for us to lie to one another and to to say, uh, to do these things and to play along. But on the other hand, consider that there is a kind of heart bondage that hates the truth. And when you consider that, it makes all the sense in the world. Why the world is the way it is at the moment. That's the kind of slavery that Jesus is talking about. It's why to talk about the freedom he offers, he does first have to broach this subject of enslavement. This offensive subject that gets his listeners so riled up. Second, Jesus presents us to himself as the son who can set us free. Before we saw the slave, now we see the son. Look at how Jesus speaks. He says, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. You see this. Jesus Jesus says you can either stay a slave like we saw in the last point 
Or he says, you can become united to the Son. Remember what we just saw. Believing the lie is the core reason for our slavery, even if we don't sense the slavery. So Jesus holds himself out as the truth and the one who can set us free from this bondage. Now, this illustration is is interesting. Typically, in the Greco-Roman time period, uh, a slave could only be set free by his master or someone that the master had actually left in charge. And so in this case, Jesus says that he's the son who has the right to set enslaved people free. And we have to think well about the idea of freedom. I don't think we think well about the idea of freedom. It's sort of like the word love. In the year 2020, the word love means something very different than what the Bible means when it says the word love. The same thing goes for the word freedom. I think we tend to mess this up because as Americans, we're very used to embracing and talking about this idea of of freedom. And yet I think on the whole, we really don't reflect much upon what we mean by that. I don't think we reflect much upon the word, what the word freedom really is. Because we think of freedom in its fullest form as unrestrained ability to live however we want. That's, I think that's in our own day. That's how we think of freedom. Um, And that isn't real freedom. That's the sort of freedom that can actually cause more enslavement. To live however we want, if we want things that bind and trap us, is just more enslavement, you know. It would be like a mouse, tra- a mouse that, in a very strange way, likes to stick its head in mouse traps, um, and that's us. We are the mouse that loves sticking its head in mouse traps. Um, goodness with worldly limits is better than sin without worldly limitations, because Jesus says everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. So he, he, this is what happens: the thing that we love. And embrace is the thing that ends up destroying us. We don't know what real freedom is, in other words. And so because we don't know what real freedom is, as a consequence, we may be confused about the kind of freedom that Jesus gives. Which is very different. We confuse it with the kind of freedoms that we enjoy in society. We think that freedom just means living life however we want, not worrying about its consequences. But that doesn't translate to what Jesus offers here. See, we need to have freedom redefined. We need to have it re-explained to us in the biblical sense. There's one Reformed writer who says it like this. Christian freedom is not wanton passion or license as some think it is a deliverance from sin. Oh, but as some think. It is a deliverance from sin and it is a complete dedication and surrender to our chief Christ to whom we completely bind ourselves. So think of what he's saying. What Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying is a weekend in Vegas where what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is not freedom. People come back from those experiences more enslaved and less aware of their enslavement. They're more blind and less free. So the the one we thought served us ended up becoming our master when we do that. What does Jesus say? Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. Do not confuse freedom with opportunity. What good is opportunity if all we use it for is something that's going to enslave us? And yet we think this way all the time. The the freedom Jesus gives is not a reckless abandon or a permission to live life the way we want. It isn't a blank check to live a carefree life of 
mayhem. Real freedom is a change of heart. Real freedom is a change of mind that allows us to finally love and finally follow what we've been unable to love and follow from the heart for so long. That's real freedom. It's it's the love of obedience that we never knew before we were captivated by God. Do you have a biblical understanding of what freedom is? Or have you been so informed by the world on this that you have trouble understanding how a Christian can be a righteous person who hates sin, who obeys God, but is also free? Have you so bought the world's definition of freedom that somebody who obeys God and follows his law doesn't sound like a very free person to you? That will scramble you. It will scramble you if you don't know what true freedom is. Now, the crazy part about the freedom of of Jesus is that the more we enjoy it, the more the world hates us, too. That's sort of a consequence as well. It's almost a paradox, right? The more free we are, the more uncomfortable and difficult our life can become. And so if your goal is to be free and have a comfortable life, you're going to be in for a rude awakening because you'll have to choose one of those things. You will either have to pick comfortable life Or you will have to pick freedom in the biblical sense. But you cannot have both of those things. This is why people who who convert to Christianity are not greeted by roars of the crowd that they're so brave. They're usually spoken very poorly of. And let me challenge you though. This freedom that upends your life is absolutely worth it. The freedom Jesus is talking about is something we can have, whether we're in quarantine, whether we're locked down, whether we're in prison, whether we're walking free. When Paul sat in prison, he was freer than his guards. Do you have such a notion of freedom that you believe that you can affirm that? When you have a biblical perspective, you start to realize there are people in prison who are more free than the wealthiest people who could go wherever they want and the world is their oyster. Why is that? Because the Son has set them free. That's the second thing, the Son. And finally, we have an inheritance. We have a consequence. What happens when we're set free? Well, Jesus tells us if we put our trust in him, we become a son in the household instead of a slave. Look how he says this one more time. He says... Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So he again uses an illustration, and it would have been an illustration familiar to the people in that time period. It's this illustration of slavery, Greco-Roman slavery. And and, And the law of that day said that the slave could engage in commerce on behalf of the house. He could make choices for the, for the house that they serve. They could manage the property. They could care for it. But they could never inherit the property. You're always stuck sort of living in the master's house. This will never be yours. It could never be theirs. And so their reign ends up being short-lived, even if they're able to, to sort of live and, and handle it every now and then. But this wasn't true of the son. Because the son in the household had absolute authority, could do with the property and with the servants whatever he wanted, including emancipating the slaves. Jesus compares himself to the master of the house who has the right to set enslaved people free. And we talked already about enslavement, about how our our enslavement is voluntary, it's willing, as wild as that may sound. 
But the real point here where, where the rubber meets the road is not a philosophical discussion of the freedom of the will, as interesting as that is. And I'm a nerd, and I like that kind of stuff. But that's not what Jesus is trying to push us into here. The real point from Jesus' perspective is this sentence. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. If we won't admit that we're slaves, Jesus says we'll never be set free. And the only way they can receive the inheritance of the son is to know Christ and call upon God as father. At the moment, they are showing their slavery. And the rescue this whole time is right in front of them. They're enslaved. The rescue's right there. Deliverance is at hand. The the wildest, greatest, most eye-opening inheritance anyone has ever imagined is there. All it takes is to believe him and to trust him. How so? Because... We saw it already. The freedom that Jesus gives is extraordinary. It's, it's the inheritance of the Son. We don't just get set free from slavery. We get our deepest needs met. What are our biggest needs? As sinners, what are our biggest needs? Well, there's the, the old hymn by Augustus Toplady, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. One of the later verses says, Be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. There are two things Christ does for us, at least. He cleanses us of the guilt of sin. But he also strengthens us against the power of sin. Let's think about those two things for a moment. You have the guilt of sin. The guilt of sin is what we talk about when we talk about the fact that we need forgiveness. To to be forgiven of sin is the first step to liberation from its power. But we have to be rid of the chains. Now, for some people, when they think of Christianity, they only think of it as getting your ticket to heaven punched. They only think of it as, I need to be forgiven so that when I get to the pearly gates and St. Peter is standing there, it's a myth, but it's a popular myth, that that he's going to say, oh, you got your ticket punched, you're in. And that's all they want. They just want Christianity to be this thing that basically says, hey, when I die, someday I'll, I'll have my fire insurance. And to tell you the truth, fire insurance is part of the, of the gospel. We don't want to go to hell. Uh, part of the gospel is that we're delivered and rescued from hell. So that there is a sense in which that is a partial truth. Christianity is about the forgiveness of sins, of course. But could you imagine how sad it would be for the Christian life if the extent of the gospel for us was just Hey, someday out there, all of this is going to matter for me, but it doesn't now. And so I live for 50, 60, 70 more years waiting for the gospel to actually matter to me. Wouldn't that be a sad existence as a Christian? But you see, Christ does give something else to us, something that matters for us in the here and now. He gives us cleansing from sin's power now. I think some people like the idea of being cleansed of the power of sin. For some people, that's not very compelling. It just sounds like a theological concept. It doesn't sound like something that touches on our everyday life. It is when we personalize it that we start to see the power of, 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 of power 
to battle sin is something that actually matters to us. If you've ever known someone who's battling addiction or trying to overcome an incredibly gripping sin, you will know that this problem of freedom from the power of sin is everything, and it is precious. They need the gospel in their life now, not someday when they die. A Christianity that's just fire insurance is not good enough. And it is not what God has for us. To be cleansed of sin's power means that before we could never say no to sin. When it was offered to us, we would always say yes to one degree or another. We might have some worldly reasons why we, why we say no, or we might have some reason why we do less of it. But we're not saying no because we have a change of heart. But here's what the gospel does. This is, this is why Jesus says the truth will set you free. Because once we've been united to Christ, we have a change of disposition. We love the truth. We want what God wants. We love what God loves. And we have a change of priorities and we don't love the lie anymore. And so the blinders fall off and we don't buy those old excuses that we used to give ourselves when we would do uh, what we thought was our daily battle against sin. See, now we can fight because we were defenseless before and now things have changed. Now, as a Christian, you will still lose battles with sin. You don't have perfection in this life, but here's the thing that you didn't have before. Now you have victories. We didn't have victories before. We didn't know what victories in the Christian life looked like before. Now we can actually win battles against sin because now we love Christ more than we love ourselves and more than we love our idols and more than we love all of these other things that used to charm us. And this means that when temptation comes, there is something there that wasn't there before. Because now we have this nugget of truth that we treasure and we love, crying out for victory. I only wanted one thing before. But if I say no to this sin, if I say yes to God, I'll have more pleasure. I'll have more delight. I'll have more obedience and I'll be more free. We never believed that before. That's something new that we didn't know before we had Jesus. So here's the question I set before you this morning. Do you want to be cleansed of of sin's guilt and power today? Do you want to know what it is to no longer be defenseless against sin in your life? Do you want real freedom? The answer is right here. Jesus speaks to people in bondage. He speaks to you this morning. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, would you make all of these promises come true in the lives of each and every person who hears this message this morning? Change the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, to indeed know what freedom is. Set them free by your Son. Give them victory. Give them an inheritance. Give them a promise greater than sin could ever provide. We ask you to do all of this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.